Are you listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you can leave a rate or review? Do you like what we're doing? If the answer to all of that is yes, please consider quickly giving us a five-star rate. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Okay, let's do this. Hello, welcome to the Ghost of Pirate Hall. My name's Simon. And I'm McKelly. Thank you for joining us for episode 212 of our chapter-by-chapter book review of A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today, we'll be discussing chapter 68 of A Storm of Swords. That's Sansa 6. And as we always... Lots of lots of alliteration in that sentence. Yes, it is. Storm Sansa of Six. Swords, Sansa 6, 68. <laughs> it's almost a tongue twister there. Mm. Uh, so we're going to chat about the chapter, and we're going to try not to spoil any future plot points for you. Hopefully, we're going to provide you some entertainment along the way. We'll summarise what happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the television show, indulge a little pedantry, and cover some relevant news and list of correspondence. Be sure to check out the show notes. They'll provide some additional information about the geography and characters of this chapter. How are you, McKelly? How have you been? It's been too long. It has been too long. It has. It's great to see your smiling face yet uh, once again. Uh, I, I will am say, smiling. I am I'm, I'm glad to have that intro uh, in the nor- normal order. Last week, you know, I it was Jenny and me, and I had to do your bits, and Jenny did my bits, and I was just not practiced at during doing your bits. Uh, yeah, it's like trying to swim feet first. Yeah, it's <laughs> right. just not right. Yeah. <laughs> and and you you usually like uh, I don't know what do you do? You keep us you keep the things moving, right? Oh God, like, yeah. You We'd know, be here if, all night if you were in charge. <laughs> So I had to be a well. I didn't have to. Jenny probably would have done a better job than I did anyway. But I, I, I was uh, the one saying, "Okay, let's move into this section and the this section," and it just didn't. It, it doesn't flow as smoothly as when you're uh, guiding I mean, guiding us along. Yeah, but you know what? That's that's not Jenny's fault. It's just it's just practice. It's all no, it definitely not Jenny's fault. That was that was all me and my lack of practice steering the yeah. steering the ship. I guess that's how. How I'd describe and it. Just can I express my gratitude to Jenny for taking over from me so that I could go to my sister's wedding and have a great time without any uh, guilt or worries about how beautifully handled Get Ghosts of Harren Hall would be. And it was. Uh, and she did a fantastic job. Did you listen? I did. Of course I did. Of course. Well, did, did you at the part where Jenny said, you know, Simon shaking his head right now about us two saps. Were you shaking your head about us two saps? Well, well I mean, a little, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, we figured. Well, uh, you know, yes, I had a great time with Jenny last week. Uh, she and I, I thought we had we had really good chemistry, I felt like. Chemistry? Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I've never heard Maybe of that Maybe it's before. just you. Maybe you just have good chemistry. It doesn't really matter what the other side of the equation is. It's always chemistry. Uh, I felt like you had good chemistry with her as well, so uh, yeah, I don't know. Definitely. Um, but anyway, now I just want to sit back and <laughs> enjoy the ride from here on I, out. I have so I went to the UK and I went to my sister's wedding and I went to my uh, foster sister's surprise birthday party. I had a great time the whole time. I had a great time. The weather cooperated. It was great to see my family. There were no squabbles or arguments. Wow! Couldn't have asked for better. Um, I even met the soccer player who used to live with my mum. You remember that? Yes. Yes, the one I who got put to meet his, him. his 
boots in the washer, right? Is that what it was? Yeah, no. Well, the, remember he had invisible boots? That's what my mom called them. <laughs> why did she call him them that? I, I don't know why she called him invisible boots. I suspected that he was pretending he had a pair of boots in his hand. And uh, <laughs> she fell for this trick. But <laughs> You don't remember that? I don't. I just remember <laughs> him making a mess with the washer. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. I mean, God, Something like my, that. My mum is particular. I, re- I I rediscovered this on my week oh, at yes. her house. Uh-huh. And, I'm sure uh, you did. You can, you can cross her very easily if you don't do things her way. I can't relate. Can't relate mm-hmm. at all. And. <laughs> um, I've come back with so many stories. It's We're going to have to parcel them out over the coming weeks because there were okay. just so many. And some of them, unfortunately, well, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, some of them are simply too salacious to to record. I just can't do it because these people are my family and if they hear it, I'll be disowned. <laughs> However, <laughs> our sustainer calls are not recorded and I'm willing to spill the beans completely so the <laughs> yes. next sustainer call that's where the truly juicy stuff will be get ready sustainers but i do have a couple of actually i have one story from before i went just before we went carson and i went to a restaurant just the two of us okay and um as we came as we walked into the restaurant there was outdoor seating and it was a pleasant evening and i said oh do you want to sit outside and carson was like she was a little non-committal. She was like, "It's a, the music's a little bit loud. She said, I'm not sure. So we went into the restaurant. And in, in America, they have a hostess who shows uh-huh. you to your seat. And she saw us and she said, table for two. And she turned as if to take us into the restaurant. So I turned to Carson with a sort of inquisitive eyebrow, right. whether or not she'd made a decision on whether or not to sit outside. Yes. Now, when you've been married as long as we have, you don't have to have much sort of vocal, you know, you can do things. So when I looked at her, I could see without, you know, she wasn't pulling like a sort of like a, a grimace or anything. Just like the, the the sort of like slant of her mouth. I could tell she just didn't care. Right. And she was fine with me making this decision. But I didn't want to make the, I don't want to make any decisions ever. <laughs> so I stared at her for a few more seconds and she was just not giving. So... Eventually, I turned back to the hostess and I said, yes. And then it dawned on me that hostess probably thought it took me five seconds to count to two. (laughs) (laughs) Is there two of you? One, two. (laughs) Just, yeah. Apparently, it's just the two of us. I thought there were more with us, but I don't know where they went. head count here. You got it, lady. Two of us. (laughs) I it cracked me up to think that this. I mean, she must have. I, I don't know what she thought I was doing because really, I just turned, looked at my wife, turned back, and went yes. But it yes. took an age. Like you know, <laughs> if we talked, if we said, "Hey, do you want to sit outside?" She would have understood. Right. But we didn't. It was complete silence, and uh, it cracked me up. The other one. <laughs> The other story I'm going to tell tonight was is actually sort of like it, it harks back to a story of a couple of weeks ago when my mother and sister refused to answer the question about how long the hedge was 
Oh, it was as long as it was. <laughs> exactly. I, I've i now seen the hedge. I can confirm it is the length of the new bungalows. Okay. <laughs> so so they were right with their estimation. Bang on. <laughs> <laughs> but, but this was... We were sitting down for dinner, and I was there, Carson was there, my brother was there, and his wife, Sophie, who... I, I, I've met Sophie before a couple of times, but... I really love Sophie. She's French and she's funny and she just, she's just French. And French people can be very blunt. One of the really good stories that's back for the sustainer call is what she said about one of the guests at the wedding, which is awesome. (laughs) But we were sitting at dinner with, so the four of us and my mother and Sophie noticed a picture on the wall and it was a print of a painting by L.S. Lowry who you probably haven't heard of, but he's the most famous artist from Manchester. He painted scenes of Manchester. And I wasn't... When did he do it? Well, that's the sort of subject of the story, because I wasn't 100% sure when he did it. The the scenes suggest early 20th century, but maybe not. Manchester didn't change that much between the sort of 1780s and 2000s. So it could have <laughs> kind of been any time, really. Um, so I said to my mum, so Sophie asked about the painting. We sort of said it was Lowry and, you know, we t- we gave her the same information I just gave you. And because I didn't know when he did it, I asked my mum, I said, oh, when was Lowry alive? And my mum said, Salford. <laughs> He was definitely born in Salford. Like, <laughs> Interesting fact, but not helpful at all. No, <laughs> so I asked again. I said, no, when, mum, when? And my brother chimed in with South Manchester. <laughs> so there was, there was much hilarity about this. Yes, much hilarity. So he was actually born 1887. So he's quite a bit older than my mum, but his active period was sort of just before my mum was born. So, um, okay, well, there you go. Did you have to Google that? Uh, correct. My mum did not know the answer to that. She knew he was born in Salford. Funnily enough, actually, the wedding was right next door to where he was born. So he, oh, was, wow. he kept, he kept cropping up over the course yeah. of the week. If that ha- question hadn't even come up, you would have learned that he was born in Salford or whatever. That's very true. <laughs> he he's he's extremely famous in the uk you know but he he famously he painted people as sort of matchsticks that's how he painted them but mostly his paintings were of sort of like industrial scenes with the people sort of walking between the factories kind of thing yes he didn't want them to be the focal point i guess we'll be right back hello friends Are you ready to make some unforgettable memories? Well, if so, consider the Marriott Bonvoy program. Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes. <laughs> all right, let's get down to business. How do we leave Sansa Stark? 
Last we saw of Sansa, she was escaping from the royal wedding feast where King Joffrey died. She wondered if her hairnet that Sedontus made her wear played a role in the death. Dantus assured her it did not. She was then ushered out of the Red Keep by Sedontus to a boat on the Blackwater. The boat took her to a ship where Littlefinger awaited her. Littlefinger killed Dantus, explaining that Dantus would have sold Sansa out. He then told her that they were sailing for home. McKelly, why don't we get the summary of this one? We shall. And, of course, this summary, much like the last episode's summary, is courtesy of Jenny of Oldstones. So, she's really pulling her weight. She really is, yes. yeah. yeah. She's mm. keeping us in line, that's for sure. <laughs> and as Jenny always does, she titled this summary. And, of course, this was taken right from the mouth of the Lord of Harrenhal. And she calls it the Drear Fort, which nice. is what Peter Baelish dubs his little abode here. Well, stop Stop jumping to the punchline. Tell us more. <laughs> Sansa, Littlefinger, and company arrive in the Fingers after a rough crossing. Storms delayed their journey and caused Sansa to be seasick, forcing her to stay below deck. Sansa had assumed Littlefinger was taking her home to Winterfell, but is dismayed to learn that he brought them to his childhood home in the Vale. This turns out to be a forlorn tower keep on a desolate stretch of beach. He tells her that Winterfell is sacked and burned and that she must make a new home with him. Littlefinger informs her that her aunt Lysa is coming and that he and Lysa are to wed. The household staff is on hand to greet their lord, small though it may be. When alone, Littlefinger informs Sansa she must assume a new identity, since it isn't safe to be Sansa Stark. He tells her she will be Elaine Stone, naming her after his mother. He gives her a cover story to allay suspicion. Littlefinger speaks of Ned and the Game of Thrones and how to be a player instead of a piece. Sansa brings up Dantus as Joffrey's killer, but Littlefinger says he was not to be trusted. He then calls in one of the staff, Oswell, who's revealed to be a Kettleblack, father of Osmond, Osney and Osfrid. Littlefinger employs them, but they aren't to be trusted either. He gives Sansa time to conclude that Olena Tyrell was responsible for Joffrey's <gasps> death. Gasp. Olena didn't want any harm coming to Marjorie, so she conspired with Littlefinger to murder Joffrey so that Marjorie could marry Tommen instead. When Liza arrives eight days later, she brings a small retinue, including a septon and a singer. She's elated to see Littlefinger, and it's evident she loves him. Liza tells Littlefinger the Vale Lords are demanding she call her banners and go to war. Several have been trying to wed her, but she only wants Peter. She insists he marry her immediately, even when he says he wishes to marry her in the Eyrie. Peter agrees, and they are married that day. After they are wedded and bedded, the singer, Marillion, makes rather insistent advances towards Sansa. But Lothar Brune is watching out for her on Littlefinger's orders and drives him away. The next morning, Littlefinger and Lysa summon Sansa and inform her that Lysa now knows who she is. They are leaving for the Eyrie that afternoon. Littlefinger leaves so the two can talk. Lysa says Sansa's resemblance to Cat is too obvious, so they will darken her hair. They awkwardly discuss Sansa's marriage to Tyrion. Lysa laments that she had no choice in her own marriage as well. Peter had been too lowborn for her father. After she wed Jon Arryn, he'd put Littlefinger in charge of customs in Galltown to please her. Littlefinger increased the income tenfold and then rose higher and higher in other appointments until he became Master of Coin. She's also had five miscarriages with John Aaron. Only Robert had survived infancy. 
Lysa is angry at Cap for bringing Tyrion to the Eyrie and for taking their uncle, Sir Brynden, Blackfish Tully. She wishes she had killed Tyrion when she'd had the chance. The mountain clans are growing bold, but she is sure that Littlefinger will sort them out after she names him Lord Protector of the Vale. She admits she is glad that Joffrey is dead because he had bullied little Robert at court and slapped him once with a wooden sword. Lysa wants Sansa to wed Robert as soon as they get word that Tyrion is dead. She calls Sansa a beggar and insists that she abandons her pride and becomes a gracious and obedient wife. Sounds like something Lysa would say. <laughs> yeah. Was this a long chapter? Because I, I read this on my on my device rather than in the book. and So I didn't have a sort of sense. It felt like a lot happened. Yes. Uh, on my In my ebook version, it was 17 pages. I think the audio book was over 50 minutes or so. Wow. 50 yeah, minutes. That's considerable. So, okay, yeah, good. it was a longer one. Yeah. With a lot going on. Yeah. So, um, it's interesting to me that uh, Peter Baelish sent the ship, which is called the Merlin King, I believe, is that yep. right? Yep. Um, to Essos after dropping them off at the Fingers. Um, so he's very worried, obviously, about pursuit. He He's trying to throw off anyone who might be pursuing him. But it feels like coming through the storm that they came through that cost at least three sailors their lives, <laughs> that any pursuit would have lost them completely at that point. Yes, yes. It could just be that it was a coincidence that the Merlin King was heading to Essos and this is as oh, far as they could So that's take just them. its next port of call for whatever reason. No, could nothing be, to do. yeah. Mm. He doesn't really specify, but it could be that that, that would explain it. The only you thing know, about that, the the only thing about that is, if he marries Lysa Arryn, word is going to get out. I mean, she's naming him Lord Protector of the Vale. I mean, it's hard to pretend you were in Essos while that was going on. Yeah, I I don't, I don't know that it does. I mean, he's on orders from Tywin to woo and marry Lysa Arryn, so you know he's expected to be in the Vale at least by. The, the Lannisters in King's Landing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that whole thing is a bit strange, actually, isn't it? Because he has to go there, but Pursuit... Nobody yeah. knows that Sansa is with him. Right. That's so the key. His, yeah. Yeah. But actually, I've, I've got a point later on, which now this conversation is undermined, because <laughs> later on I'm going to make the point, why disguise Sansa Stark? But... There's an extremely good reason to disguise Sansa Stark because if word gets out that Peter Baelish has Sansa Stark with him in the Vale, dirty hands. Suddenly, yes. his involvement <laughs> in Joffrey's death becomes very apparent. Yeah, in, in this chapter, he says, "Always keep your hands clean," and that would be a right. bit of dirt under his fingernails. There, yeah, you know, he does. He tells told Sansa at the end of last chapter that she was heading home kind of needlessly tricking her with the technicality. I, I don't know why he'd bother getting her hopes up. She was pretty well stuck on that ship and pretty happy to leave King's Landing. True. Compared to killing Sodontus directly in front of her, saying <laughs> we're going to the Vale didn't seem as big a thing. <laughs> Small potatoes, right, yeah. Yes, but <laughs> but then again at the same time, reassuring her at that moment makes a little bit of sense. Yeah, I guess so. You're right. At the moment, she 
might have been upset about Sardantos and yeah. you know Joffrey's death and everything. Maybe it just, but he never, you know, they had a lot of time on that ship, and he he could have at some point said, "Oh, when I said we're going home, I meant my yeah. home, not your home," because you know, in this chapter when she realizes, "Oh, I thought we were going to Winterfell," he says, uh, "Did you you thought we were making for Winterfell? It's been sacked and burned, and all those you knew and love are dead." And I was like, "Whoa, okay, yeah, simmer down a little bit." That's the opposite of trying to you know the small potatoes thing. That's yes. like bigging up the potatoes, right? There. Yes, like, just maybe maybe don't word it quite that way. Yeah, it's not safe in the north right now. We can't <laughs> go back. Good enough. Good enough. No, no, we really can't. And if you want, I'll lay out the reason. <laughs> right. But I don't think you want me to. The whole thing's pretty rough for Sansa. The, the crossing itself. I mean, she's basically she's filthy and covered in vomit. She's got yes. long hair, right? So probably that. And and no handmaiden to hold it back while she pukes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe they got like a, a whatever a low level person on a ship is to do that job. <laughs> Uh, the whole uh, the whole arrival at the fingers because it is the fingers that's where they are yeah 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 is kind of humanizes Peter Baelish for me a little bit we we haven't seen a lot of him if you think how many times he's actually been on screen it's not very often because yeah, he's talked he's, about a lot but he's talked right. about a lot exactly yeah but his interaction with his old retainers at the castle is very fun they they he's funny and kind towards them and they're very fond of him obviously yeah maybe it's one place these people have known him since he was born maybe it's the one place he feels like he can be himself yeah but but i mean if you're nice with people you've known all your life you've got it in you to be nice to other people he's obviously calculating but but he's not without I mean, it just felt like there's redeeming features here that we'd never seen before or never been hinted at before. Everything we've ever heard about him is his scheming. But he actually, he it seems to me that he might fall in love or he might be kind to someone just to be kind to someone. And I'd never got that impression of him previously. No, yeah. I mean, even last chapter, he talked about basically constantly playing the Game of Thrones. You know, right. He talks right. again in this chapter about it. So maybe when he's at King's Landing, that's really all he focuses on. And yeah. here he can just be Peter Baelish, Lord of the Drear Fort. Okay. I'm going to hold up my hand now and you describe the fingers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so let's get oriented here. They're in the fingers. And um, so the fingers are kind of the northeast portion of the veil. Right. And. There are five peninsulas that poke out into the narrow sea like, well, fingers. So Mm -hmm. uh, Little Finger's tower here is on the tip of the smallest finger, which is also the most southern of the fingers. Uh, And so that's how he got his nickname, Little Finger. Because he's from the littlest finger. Yes, Edmure Tully dubbed him that because he's from the smallest finger. Probably didn't hurt that Peter is also a rather diminutive in stature you know sounds reasonable uh so tell me mckelly how did (laughs) how did a boy from the fingers end up as a ward of hostel tully well funny you should ask that question i was going to just tell you about that (laughs) good i'm glad because i don't know (laughs) so uh 
Peter's father and Hoster Tully actually became friends during the War of the Nine Penny Kings. And through that friendship, they arranged Hoster Tully to take Peter Baelish as his ward at River Run. Have we done background on the Nine Penny Kings? Uh, we've talked about it a little bit. I don't know that I've done a full background. I, I'm sure I will when the opportunity arises because background is getting a little tricky sometimes. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the whole chapter kind of starts off with a lie. Like the very first bit of dialogue is Littlefinger telling Sansa that don't shed a tear for the dwarf because Tyrion had a wife before her. And when he grew tired or bored of his wife or whatever, he gave her to his guardsmen. So now I was going to noodle on this just a little bit, McKelly. Uh-huh, we, noodle away. we are biased towards our POV characters, all of them. You know, sure. I, yeah, we root Natural. for Tyrion. He's a Lannister. We root for Daener- Daenerys. She's son of the Mad King Aerys. We, uh, we rooted for Theon sometimes. Well, uh, yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit, maybe. But generally, we we root for our POV characters because we just they're more alive to us than the the non POV characters, right? But this looks like a lie because we believe Tyrion. But Tyrion right. is a Lannister and smart, and calculating, and maybe his story is the lie, and Peter Baelish is telling us the truth here. Could be he's had internal thoughts to us about Taisha you know unless he's convinced himself that he didn't do such things it you know it's I'm with you I'm inclined to agree I mean we have on in on some levels an unreliable narrator do you put it past George Martin to make the unreliable narrator the POV character I do not I put very little past George Martin (laughs) I agree ever, with that. Ever yeah. since the beheading of Ned Stark, to be honest. <laughs> That's right. That's where it all began. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I had never I... thought about the fact that maybe Tyrion... It's never even crossed my mind that maybe Tyrion is unreliable in his narration of that event. I. It seems unlikely to me too. And it's not... This thought has not really changed my opinion. But I'm like, we've just heard the story two different times... Nobody else has told the story, have they? Jamie hasn't told the story. Jamie's had thoughts about uh, Tyrion loving him for a lie. We we assume that has something to do with the Taisha situation, but we don't huh. know. Which which we smelled at the time that that seemed like it was backing up Tyrion's version of events, didn't we? But yes, but kind of yes. The flip side of that, of course, is maybe the lie is the story. Yeah, yeah. The story that Tyrion tells. Now, well, I mean, I, I, I agree. I, I think Tyrion's story is true. And I think Littlefinger is trying to build, you know, to to erode whatever connection Sansa had formed to Tyrion. And what I better agree. way? I mean, that's an awful, awful story. Yes. Uh, unless it's a rumor going around to prevent the realm from hearing the how awful the truth is and may, in a bad look for Tywin and the Lannisters. Then, like you said, he's straight up lying. Yeah. to erode the relationship, whatever was formed during their short marriage. Yeah. So we finally get to see why it is that Littlefinger would want the title of Lord of Harrenhal when it's a title known to be cursed. 
We knew when Vargo Hote took the title, he didn't know. He's not from Westeros. He just thought, wow, this is a really big castle. It would be cool to be Lord of Harrenhal. But Peter Baelish is very aware that the title of Lord of Harrenhal is a rather cursed title. Now we see why he wanted it so bad. Yes, I, 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 I'm with you. I know where you're headed. But I will say, he's also a very rational person, Peter Baelish, it seems to me. So he possibly doesn't believe in curses. Yes, yes. So there's the bit of that. But no, do tell. Why did he want it so much? Well, he he needed a very lofty title in order to marry a very lofty lady. You are right, sir. You can't just be <laughs> the lord of the smallest finger and expect to, mar- <laughs> expect to marry the lady of the veil. Come on. What did, what did he call himself? Lord of sheep, pellets, and rocks or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Audible. To get a free audiobook or two if you're an Amazon Prime member, go to our exclusive URL, audibletrial.com slash ghostsherrenhall. You can find the link in our show notes. And and not that many sheep, right? The the head count was 23. Yes. (laughs) Barely a lost some. Actually, I didn't mention this for pedantry, but but losing three sailors and losing six of your 29 sheep, those are big losses for what I'm expecting is... Those are big percentage losses. I don't know how big the crew of the ship was, but to lose three sailors in one storm and six right. sheep in recent times feels like, you you know, you're getting through that. Yeah, I agree. Um, So in the small tower that marks the, the stronghold of... Uh, Peter Baelish's lands, we see the original Baelish sigil, which is a grey stone head with fiery eyes on a light green field. Um, and he tells the story of its history, which is that his great-grandfather was a sellsword from Bravos, and his grandfather took the head of the titan of Bravos for his sigil, which is kind of a cool sigil. Yes, it is kind of cool. I, I think Sansa refers to it as fierce, and Littlefinger says fierce. it's too fierce for yeah. an amiable man like me. It's this sigil right here. That way back in Brand Three of a Game of Thrones, which is the dream when he's the chapter when he's dreaming that he's falling and the crow is kind of flying beside him and he's yeah. seeing all these things all over around okay. the world. I said that there was a theory about one of the mysterious things that Brand sees. So, do you want to read the passage? Okay. All around his family, Brand sees shadows, dark as ash, with the terrible face of a hound. Armour as golden and beautiful as the sun. Over them all looms a giant armoured in stone, but with only darkness and black blood behind the visor. Uh-huh. Huh. So the, you know, we, we talked at the time, the dark ash with the terrible face sounds an awful lot like the hound. Yes. Or, I mean, terrible face of a hound. <laughs> yes. Literally says that in there. Sounds an awful lot like the hound. We discussed the armour... As it's golden and beautiful as the sun. At the time, it seemed a lot like Jamie Lannister or Tywin Lannister. Quite. Wear gold armor. We'll see shortly there's another character who wears gold armor and, and uh, has to do with the sun. How exciting. Yes. Has, um... But this anyway, last one is it... over them all looms the giant with the stone face. Yes. So huh. some people, a lot of people, think the giant... Of stone living over all is Littlefinger. 
and it was masked by using the former sigil because that's the former sigil of House Baelish. Uh, the current sigil is a mockingbird. Right. So if if you know. Bran's dream had been and a mockingbird over everything. And by a mockingbird, I mean Peter Littlefinger Baelish. <laughs> right. We'd have figured it out by now. Yes, there wouldn't have been very much drama or discussion yeah. about what or who much it might like be. the whole John Arryn, the seed is strong. <laughs> by which I mean, <laughs> yeah, Joffrey's not Robert's <laughs> son. <laughs> it's um, nothing to do know. with Sweet Robin. He's definitely mine. <laughs> So, and he's not strong. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, so, you know, I just give you some of some of the reasoning that people think that this giant might be Littlefinger. Well, well, because he has been the architect of the downfall of the Starks in many ways. Yes, yeah. He, first of all, he talks in this chapter and in previous chapters about playing the Game of Thrones and being a player versus being pieces. And yes, like you said, he's had his hand in. Everything. He lied about the dagger, which set Catelyn and Tyrion's situation in motion and started the war in the Riverlands and pitted House Lannister versus House Stark. He brokered the marriage between Joffrey and Marjorie. He, I'll put in quotations, helped Ned find the truth of Jamie and Cersei's uh, incestual relationship. He's the one that set up the arrangement for Ned with the gold cloaks, and then turned around and backstabbed Ned with those same gold cloaks. And, you know, he's the one that told Tywin about Sansa and Willis's marriage uh, plan by the Tyrells. And uh, yes, he even set up the jousting dwarves to put Joffrey and Tyrion at odds at the wedding. And And we learn in this chapter that he's behind the Kettleblacks being introduced to Cersei. So, uh, you know, as you said, he's got his hands in everything, and his original house sigil is the Titan of Bravos, which you might consider to be a giant of stone. i I, I got to say, I'm convinced, which, which actually, if you think about it, is potentially quite a big spoiler, because we don't really know. I mean, certainly we know those facts, but... He, there's definitely a side of him which is a, wants to be a protector for Sansa. Right. Yeah, sure. But now, knowing all this, I'm like, well, now I don't trust him at all to be a protector for Sansa. I mean, obviously, my thinking he wants to be a protector for Sansa is tempered by the fact I think he wants to be a rapist of Sansa. But, you know, right. he has some good motives as well as the Dark Ones. Maybe that's why he looms over her in a bad way, even though he wants to be her protector, because really he's just got designs on her. There's, Could be. there's nothing good yeah. in her in that for her. Yeah. It, it he's at to this point there's one point where she's uh, they're sitting there together drinking the wine, and he's see she's watching him watching her over his wine cup and she can't quite make out what it is in his eyes that he's seeing her with. He, she thinks maybe amusement, but she's not really sure exactly what it is in his eyes that he's seeing, that she's seeing when he looks at her. Yeah, and th that goes to how he's always been around her, which is strange and unreadable. Right. You know, and, and, and disconcerting. You know, whenever she's around him, she's disconcerted by the way yeah. he looks at her. But the yeah. thing is, 
it's I think if it was pure lust, she wouldn't be so disconcerted by it. She would recognize it. She's not a complete innocent. Right. Yes, there's a lot of mixed yeah. everything going on there. I, I will say, just to wrap up the uh, stone giant thing, there is another strong candidate for the giant, but we'll discuss that candidate when we meet that character. Mm. Interesting. So... uh Sansa, channeling her Arya, takes a new name. So you, you said it slightly different than I was saying it. I was saying it more like Elaine, but you said Elaine. Uh, but of course, because uh, Littlefinger is saying that she's a bastard, she gets the, the local uh, bastard surname, which is Stone. So she becomes right. Elaine Stone. Yeah, she, she gets a new name and a new father. Yes. Yeah. And she's not a real big fan of being natural born. The reason that Littlefinger gives for using this backstory of her being his natural-born daughter, is that it's rude to ask questions about someone's natural-born uh, children. Yes, yeah. Which is which is an interesting departure from the TV show, because in the TV show, they claim she's a niece. Oh, that's right. I, I read in the, your comparison with the TV show that yeah. you mentioned. I was like, I, I but, knew that from somewhere. Oh, but I that, to me, seems like an important miss there, because because that's a very good point. If she... You might ask, oh, who is your father or mother? Oh, uh, presumably it's Littlefinger's brother or sister that you didn't know he had. Right. (laughs) I thought you were an only child. Well, you see, the thing is this. (laughs) I call her niece, but she's a bastard. No questions, please. (laughs) No questions. You know, this was was kind of part of the spoiler talk that you and Jenny and I had from Aria 12. We wondered if the Hound and Aria kept going to the Vale and met with Liza and Littlefinger, what would happen and what would Arya's backstory be? And this is the bit we were, that was the spoilery thing. We didn't want to divulge uh. that Littlefinger and uh, Sansa were going to meet up with Liza in such a fashion. I tell you what, this this whole thing, it's that, that I'd, I'd forgotten that there was a chance of this sort of coming together, but it's quite the feat to have the Sansa and Arya stories being so similar in some ways at this moment in time, in that they're both being protected by an enemy. Right. They're both loose somewhere in the world and nobody really knows where they are. And for it not to feel same-ish, because... Yeah. Neither of us had noticed it until this this very second. And and also that you could keep the story propelling forward because it feels to me like if I was writing a story and I got into that situation, that I would be lost in a maze that I was never going to get out of. But right. I yeah, know that yeah, their yeah. stories are going to propel. And it's, it's, it's impressive to keep those going forward when at this point in time, it could go horribly wrong. Oh, yeah. For us, the reader, I mean, not right. for Sansa. <laughs> it could go horribly wrong for them, too. Right, could go horribly wrong for all of us. Yeah. Uh, you know, this adds a new wrinkle to the discussion that we had in the spoiler section of that episode is uh, Littlefinger's worried that the that Varys's birds are going to find out that Sansa's in the Vale. Well, if the Hound had shown up in the Vale with Arya Stark, the Hound is a lot more recognizable than probably most of the people in Westeros. So do the birds go tell Varys, hey, guess who's in the Vale? The Hound. And guess what? who he says he's with? Arya Stark. So, right. you know, then yeah. that could get messy for Littlefinger there as well. Right, yeah. So 
But it didn't happen, so... Yeah, yeah. So, the Kettle Blacks are explained. I mean, this is this was... The Kettle Blacks... Jamie is the one who's been suspicious of them. It's like, where the hell did they come from? You know, I hadn't even heard of them. They never fought in any tourneys. But basically, uh, they're Peter Baelish's men, and he lured them in... You know, he, he dangled them in front of Cersei and made Cersei believe that she had them in her pocket... And right. he uses this not only to sort of like, you know, get some influence in Cersei's circles, but also as a demonstration of how Cersei is not a good player of the uh, Game of Thrones. I mean, there's there's Peter Baelish, there's Cersei, and then there's Ned Stark way down at the bottom. <laughs> Sorry, he's at the bottom. Head and shoulders below everybody else. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, come on. Oh, poor Ned. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, the brilliance of Littlefinger's plan here is he originally brings them to town to be part of Braun's sellsword army and then uses them as double agents yeah. to put them in front of Cersei. So that they're really, as far as Littlefinger is concerned, they're spying on two groups. Right, right. And, of course, it also explains, uh, you know, you missed this discussion last chapter, why it is that Jamie or anyone had never heard of Osmond Kettleblack or his brothers before. That was Jamie's thing. Like, how come it is that I've been all around this realm and I've never heard of you before? Yeah. Well, now we see because they were just three sheep herders in uh, in the fingers, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, he makes an interesting point that Cersei is a good player in the sense that she wants power so badly, but then she has no idea what to do with it and misuses it so badly. Whereas he believes himself, if he got that power, he would use it well. What he means by well, I, it troubles me, you know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for good or use it well, there's a difference there. Uh, he could definitely make an argument that she doesn't necessarily know how to use the power that she gets because, you know, we've mostly we see her making self-serving moves. Yeah. And oftentimes, you know, we end up with this Kingsguard realignment where Barrison Selmy gets booted out and Jamie gets promoted to Lord Commander. Osmond Kettleblack gets moved into to Jamie's spot. Or no, sorry, the Hound got moved into Jamie's spot. And, you know, that angered Tywin because it just none of it needed to happen. Yeah. Yeah. But but at the same time, I mean, she had sort of unbridled power at that point. But she had to make decisions. Elevating the Hound to the King's God when he is already Joffrey's prime protector doesn't seem that ridiculous. It actually seems like a perfectly logical step. If there was a spot. <laughs> Problem <laughs> is, you basically remove Bearson Selmy, well, one of the true. most true. prized possession, prized uh, personalities of Westeros for the Hound, who was already yeah. there doing these jobs anyway. Yeah. But again, I mean, look, everyone's got respect for Barristan Selmy, but her the charges she laid at his feet were not incorrect. Yeah. You're not supposed to outlive as many kings as you've outlived as a king's card. <laughs> there is that detail. You yeah. notice he didn't put that in his white book pages, I don't yeah. think. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't spell that out. <laughs> um, we, um, you and I work with a guy, uh, uh, editor, and... Uh, the other day, I was telling him that I, I was telling him and my writer that they'd made a mess up of something, and the okay. editor came back to me and said, "Oh, I think that's my fault. I'm really sorry." 
Now, I'm pretty sure it was my writer who messed up. And so I said to the editor offline, I said, look, I think you've just secret serviced a bullet for an undeserving president. <laughs> I like the analogy there. Yeah, you like that? Yeah. Um, I, I don't even remember what, what we were just talking about that triggered that, but... Uh... Barristan Selby. Oh, Barristan Selby, yes. He probably should have. <laughs> yes, he... Barristan Selby's just letting them all fly past him. <laughs> He's leaping out of the way. <laughs> All right. So we, um, so the big news, of course, of this chapter, well, there's tons of big news. We're going to be here all there night. There really is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Littlefinger tells Sansa who actually murdered uh, uh, Joffrey, and he says it's Olena Tyrell. Now, that is someone that we thought might be involved because she did mess with the hairnet and she has the exact motive that little finger lays out here we don't believe what he said about Tyrion, but we choose to believe this right i'm just saying you gotta be careful with what you believe yeah absolutely yeah you're right if he told that lie so easily about Tyrion, uh you know yeah he could tell it has verisimilitude right it has the appearance of truth because we thought it might be her we're getting confirmation it was her. Yes. It feels you like know, it's falling into place. This reminds me of something that you said during our 50th episode um, wow. extravaganza that we did when Molly was asking us questions. You said something along the lines of that we carefully examine this story to such a level that we can spoil things without directly doing so. Right. And in in the case here... If you were just reading through that chapter, the uh, the purple wedding. purple wedding chapter, you 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 know you'd read you'd read over Elena saying your hairnet was crooked and straightening it, and just glossed over it and moved on. But we brought it up, we put a spotlight on it, we examined it, we did throw in other suspects to make it less obvious. But that was such a small detail that you know the average reader might just whoop, I didn't even notice that happened. The truth of the matter is, though, I still don't feel this is this is you know settled law because this is Peter Baelish, and so I believe it right now. But you know what? If in two books' time we hear a different story of what happened at the Purple Wedding, I'm willing to believe that. I'm willing to reopen the case. Oh yeah, I, the rest of their behavior doesn't doesn't sync up because Elena wanted to take Sansa to High Garden and marry her off to Willis. So if he if she and Littlefinger were working together on the murder part, they certainly weren't working together on the Sansa Hairnet. escaping plan mm. because she did Elena didn't want Sansa to escape, at least that's the version we got from Elena. She wanted uh Sansa to go to Highgarden and Littlefinger instead went another route and got Sansa out of there. So Do you think if if that plan had come to some kind of fruition well they wouldn't have had to whisk her away from the wedding would they because she wouldn't have been Tyrion's wife right she She just would have been there yeah yeah, she would have just been one of the many witnesses right it's only because she was Tyrion's wife that they had to get her out at that moment and it's Littlefinger who's the one that blew up the Willis uh, Sansa betrothal plan yeah (laughs) so if they were working together on the hairnet and the murder, it doesn't seem like they were in sync with what happened after the fact. 
Yeah, yeah, good call. The one thing, uh, final thing I wanted to add about the Kettle Blacks is last Sansa chapter, you remember when she was on the boat with Dantos and Oswell, she kept looking at Oswell and thinking, there's something really familiar about that guy's face, but I just can't remember what it was, or what I just can't figure out what it is. Well, now we discover what it is, is the fact that she was seeing the kettle black look in that man's face. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I said at the time, there were there were some clues for really astute observers, and the clues were the hook nose. Every single time a kettle black is mentioned, the dis- physical description is the hook, the kind of larger hook nose, and uh, his name begins with an O. And all the Kettle Black's names, right, Osmond, right, right. Osney, Osfred, Oswell, they all begin with those. So anyway, that, I just wanted to tie that loose end up from last Sansa yep. chapter. Yep. Um, so <laughs> Olena was always suspicious about Joffrey's true nature. She grilled Sansa about it, remember? And then Littlefinger reveals that he intentionally told Olena that Joffrey was great whilst secretly feeding her the truth through third parties that he was a monster. Yes. So keeping those hands clean. Exactly. Keep those hands clean. You're absolutely right. Uh, but then he's he's assuming, I mean, I, I, I assume that this is an assumption that he's making, that Olena, well, I don't know. I don't know. When did they talk? I mean, it feels like they talked way back when Renly was still alive, right? That's the they only talked, opportunity. They uh, Peter, no. Peter Baelish and Olena talked when Littlefinger went to go put together the alliance and the betrothal right. of Joffrey and Marjorie. Marjorie, yeah. So that's after Renly's death. Yes, after Renly's death. Okay, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but Olena can still make Marjorie queen because, just like uh, Melisande said. Joffrey's death doesn't end the Lannister line. Tommen is next in line to be crowned, and he needs a wife. In about right. six years, anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know that they'll wait quite that long, but <laughs> no. yes, theoretically, it should be about six years or so. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah, exactly. He, there was a, they had an heir. You know, they didn't need Joffrey. They had a much less evil-seeming heir, so, and, and I wonder, you know, Elena was getting all these third party things, all, all this third party info about what a terrible person Joffrey is. But I wonder if it was Sansa's first person account of Joffrey's behavior that put the final nail in the coffin for her to agree to this murdering him plot. Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly as a, as a human, she would have a lot of sympathy for Sansa. And right less for joffrey at that point right so uh little thing he's not he's not hesitant to big up his own achievements <laughs> no he's <And> not <laughs> one of the ones he points to is uh getting loris in the king's guard and he basically says that he manipulated mace tyrell into wanting that uh so subtly that mace tyrell thinks it was his own idea but honestly the way mace tyrell is pr- portrayed it feels like he's pretty suggestible so <laughs> yeah it's right. not that hard. But um, one of the things that it did do was relieve him of the need to find a bride for his third son, which is always a little bit tricky. And Littlefinger says, 
more so with Loris, which is one final, well, one additional indication that uh, Loris might be gay. And, yeah, you know, the characters often have a thing make... for Renly. Right. Yeah, exactly. The characters often make these vague references like Jamie saying he's going to stick the sword up Loris where even Renly couldn't find it. Yeah. You know, make these kind of vague references, but nobody ever outright acknowledges the fact. So yeah. I guess it's just a, a sign of the times, you know, that Although maybe. If, you, if you want a smoking, nay, flaming gun, the way uh, Loris reacts... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the way Loris reacts to Brienne's arrival is uh, pretty... Right. Pretty self-incriminating. Sure, he's got professional pride that he, as member of the Rainbow Guard, allowed Renly to die, but his uh, his harbouring that grudge suggests more than just, uh, I wish you hadn't done that. Sure, sure, yeah. So, news that... Lysa and Littlefinger are to be married. It has to be something of a relief to Sansa, who has obviously got is concerned about what Baelish's designs towards her are. Uh, but well, what are his designs towards Sansa? I mean, that's the thing. If he's marrying Lysa, marriage doesn't mean everything in this realm. You know, plenty of people cheat on their wives, but to cheat on your wife with your wife's own niece who's pretending to be your own bastard daughter feels yeah. even for That's, this a little too much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's right. It's bordering uh, Jamie and Cersei having sex yeah. over their dead son's body. It's yeah. a whole and also level of ask, asking, presumably while you're making love to Sansa, asking her to pretend to be her mother, which is really <laughs> oh <laughs> I mean, the cherry gosh. on top right there. That is. Yes. There's <laughs> even more layers here. <laughs> <laughs> so Lysa seems pretty much mad to me. I mean, like quite, quite crazy. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, first of all, they, they kind of commiserate when the two of them get together at the end of the chapter. It's kind of the last conversation of the chapter is Liza and, and Sansa discussing. And, and kind of one of the first things they do is they, Liza commiserates with Sansa over the fact that Sansa was forced into marrying marrying yeah. Tyrion Lannister against her wishes, just as Liza was forced to marry Jon Arryn against her own wishes, and, and so I went and looked it up. The I think we've probably discussed this ages ago, but I had forgotten what the gap exactly was. But what, at the time of their marriage, Jon Arryn was somewhere in his mid sixties when they you know when they got wed when right. they were wed. Liza was somewhere around fifteen. Wow. So it's a significant gap. So yeah, they were, you know, they were commiserating about, uh, you know, Tyrion being a member of the enemy family, him being unattractive and known to frequent prostitutes, whereas John Aaron was old and had bad breath. Those were the you know, kind of the characteristics they were kind of griping over. Uh, to be honest, I think Sansa got it worse. I mean, I, uh, well, you could I buy guess. the man a toothbrush and, <laughs> and outlive him. You know, though, uh, some of it, some of, I, I wonder a little bit about Liza's mental state and the fact that she was forced to marry this. And in this time, you know, in this world, a, a re- quite elderly man when she was a teenager if that might have had some impact on her mental well, health. Well, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Particularly if 
As you've speculated earlier, or we now know for a fact, she had recently been forced to have a... unwillingly to abort a child. Right. And yeah. then be shipped off to marry someone you don't love. That's... Yeah, so... A very vulnerable state to be in. Yeah, it, um, yeah, and like you said, yeah, her her mental instability does remain front and present again in this chapter. She oscillates between compassion and accusation with Sansa. Yeah, when she's when she's compassionate towards Sansa, she seems like quite a nice aunt. But then she just goes through these sudden changes of attitude where she's sort very of manic at her. And, yeah, it's, yes, it's grabs her arm and says, "Tell me, are you with child? I'll know if you're lying." Yeah. And, and uh, you know, when Peter Baelish makes the very reasonable point that the Lord of Harrenhal should marry the Lady of the Vale in the Eyrie in front of all of the lords, she is like, "No, I brought a septon. We're doing it here in the sheep dung, here and now, <laughs> between the sheep dung and the rocks." <laughs> right, and he he pushes, but she's got that look in her eye, and he's he yields pretty smartly before. Right. Yes. Uh, but he's right. It's important to his claim that everyone yes. knows it happened. So it's yes. uh, it's unfortunate for him. He doesn't make that. He doesn't specify that. But it's pretty clear that's what he's thinking yeah. when he says it's, it's kind of important that we do it at the veil in front of your court. You also see why she, in this conversation, you see why she's so overprotective with little Robert because she tells Sansa she's lost five children in infancy, yeah. which is just awful. That will that would mess with any person's yeah. mental uh yeah. stability. Let's, let's give let's give Lysa a break here. She's had a rough go of it, you know. But times are hard for everyone. Right, right. Oh and I will say about the old the bad breath thing, uh John Aaron having bad breath, she mentions that um Littlefinger has good breath. And it's kind of a known thing that he always chews mint leaves. So I guess oh, there you go. Maybe he saw. Well, no, he liked chewing mint leaves ever since he was a kid. I believe that was something that came up a long time ago. Anyway, just thought I'd throw that in there. The other person that um, Lysa brings with her for the wedding is the singer Marillion, who's an old friend of ours. He was the singer who accompanied Catelyn, Tyrion, and Bran up the mountains. Right. Right. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, his behavior towards Sansa is an absolute disgrace, and it is to oh, Peter Baelish's credit that he had Lothar Brune watch over her. Can I just mention that right at the start of this chapter, she says that Sir Lothar Brune, as he is now, having been knighted after the, uh, his exploits on the Blackwater, is not a true knight because he wears scruffy brown trousers. Will this child <laughs> not learn what makes a true knight? <laughs> Slow on the uptake with that one, I guess. Yeah, every true knight she's ever known has been a monster. Right. The 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 people who've had the name who don't fit the bill are the ones who are chivalrous and kind towards her. Yeah, yeah, that's tr- yeah. That's or true. even in this yeah. case of the hound, they don't even have the title. Right. Yeah. The hound, his relationship with her is so complicated, but he saved her. He saved her life. Right. So, and and Lothar Brune did it here without any additional uh, creepiness. So that's good. Right. Yes. He he protected her and left her alone. And it was at Peter Baelish's request. So credit to Peter for that. He's protecting her. Of course, one always worries about his motives. Is he protecting her for her, or is he protecting her so that she's unspoiled when he gets to her? Uh yeah, oh, sorry. 
Sorry to bring yeah. it down. <laughs> uh, so Lysa is hellbent on keeping the Vale out of the war, as we've known all along. But the Knights of the Vale apparently are beginning to disagree with her, or have always been disagreeing with her. Uh, Lysa thinks that Peter will be the fix to all this. She'll get He'll get them in line. I can't imagine he's going to want to go and join in the war, but there isn't much of a war going on, really. I mean, right. so maybe it's an easy fix. It's over, guys. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. At this point, if the Knights of the Vale want to join the war, it must be to join against the Lannisters. Because, right. like you said, it's nearly over. Why else would you want to join the war at this point than if you want to fight the Lannisters? Right, exactly. And she makes the argument that the Vale is special because it's so protected from outside forces. And she's absolutely right. Unlike, you know, the North is protected by Moat Kalen, but there's lots of exposed shoreline there. Right, 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 right. And, you know, it's so cold, so the harvest is more limited. And the Vale is like a comfy cocoon with fertile farmlands, very self-sustaining, like the complete opposite of the Riverlands, which are exposed in all directions yeah, yeah. by every other realm around them. So, yeah, uh, yeah, she's right. They could stay out of this war and just be isolated, self-sufficient. But uh, apparently her her lords are antsy to get in the fight. Um, so the last thing that happens is that she decides that Sansa is going to marry Robert Arryn. Can't imagine that the prospect of marrying your own first cousin is that appealing to uh, Sansa, especially given what she knows of uh, the spawn of incest from her time with Joffrey. <laughs> right. There's certainly precedent. Tywin Lannister married his first cousin, Joanna. Even her her grandfather, Sansa's grandfather, Rickard Stark, married Lyara Stark. Interjection on Tywin. How did his kids work out? Not well, perfect either. <laughs> yes. Fair point. Fair point. <laughs> she thinks that nobody is ever going to marry her for love, just for her claim. And quite honestly, if, when she's Sansa Stark, that's probably true. Maybe... Elaine Stone, that will be different for. But, you know, she's the firstborn daughter of Ned and Catelyn and thought to be the only living Stark heir. So it's kindly un- kind of unlikely she's going to get to marry just for love. Yep. Uh, if if her first cousin was someone other than Robert Arryn, she might turn a blind eye, but he is not great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not a catch. He, he's little, you know... Maybe, you know, Dr. Honda thought Joffrey could still be saved. You know, the, he good point. could good have point. time. Uh, the love of a good woman. That's all he needs. Yeah, that's what, that's what he needs. <laughs> so, so now a brief interjection while we do spoilers just for our sustainers. Become a sustainer and you get to hear what we say next. That's right. And if you're a spoiler, if you're a sustainer who has not finished the story yet and you don't want to hear the spoilers, just skip ahead to background because this is the last segment of our discussion good call all right do you have some background for us uh so yeah i have some background so um Littlefinger shows sansa a rock with a seven-sided star carved into it and says the carving dates back to the arrival of the andal invaders of course we all know about how the andals came from essos and conquered the first men thousands of years ago bringing with them the faith of the seven what you might not know is that when the Andals first arrived in Westeros, they landed right here in the Fingers. Which makes you kind of wonder why they decided to stay in Westeros, being considering the description we've gotten about the Fingers so far. But yeah. Anyway, like most of Westeros, prior to the Andals' arrival, the Vale was ruled by petty kings of the First Men. 
Two of such kings were Dywin Shell and John Brightstone, both who claimed to be King of the Fingers. Both Dywin and John had the same idea regarding how to defeat the other. They each hired an Andal warlord to sail to the Fingers and help crush their rival. Unfortunately for them, within a year the Andals had turned on the kings and killed them both. Dywin Shell was roasted alive inside his wooden hall, John Brightstone was tortured and beheaded, and an Andal knight named Corwin Corbray took Dywin's wife as a bedwarmer and married John's daughter. Corbray then proclaimed himself Lord of the Five Fingers. Beautiful. Thank you very much. So he got a he got a five finger discount on hey, uh, his. I like it. <laughs> Uh, comparison with the television show, the major discussion points of this chapter are captured, but some of the settings are altered. Sansa and Peter discuss the poisoning on board the ship. Their conversation, which which they may have done in the book too, because she was talking about some of that conversation as a past tense thing. So that may have happened on the boat, boat but we didn't see it happen on the boat in the book, if you see what I'm saying. Sure. She sure. she recounts, when she lands at the thing, she recounts some of their previous conversations, that's what I'm saying. So, okay. um The conversation is very similar to the book. Uh, Dantas couldn't be trusted. Sansa was a participant. And Peter Baelish's loyalties to the Lannisters didn't extend to Joffrey. Uh, Next, they go to the Eyrie. So Lysa doesn't come to them. They go to the Eyrie. Uh, She's given the name Elaine. Oh, and by the way, this is an interesting point. How do you get to the Eyrie? Because in the TV show, they come through the bloody gate. Oh. But it seems to me that coming from if you come by boat sea. you wouldn't go yeah. through the unless no. you intentionally go to a difficult place to park the boat <laughs> right and come that way i can't I, I don't think you have to go through the bloody gate if you are already inside the veil exactly the figures are yeah well anyway they they go via the bloody gate to the eerie she's given the name elaine but uh, and is told to be a niece uh, that story, of course, wouldn't fool Lysa because she would know whether or not Peter had siblings. Wouldn't fool anyone, really. But uh, right. Lysa immediately reveals that she knows who Sansa is. As in the book, Lysa demands and gets a rapid wedding. But uh, So nobody in attendance, but in the Eerie, at least. Uh, okay. the, the, the screaming of sexual delight is kept. But Sansa is at least in a slightly larger place than the little tower at the uh, little thing. Right. So um, she's able she to can hide a from it a little better. Pillow over her ears, yes. Uh, next day, Lysa confronts Sansa about her relationship with Peter. She confirms her virginity and this reassures her aunt, who then says that she can marry Robert. As it, oh, as in the book. okay. So all of that t- ties up. Is Marillion in the TV no. show? No. Okay. No, I, I didn't see him anyway. I mean, I this this I had to bounce through a couple of episodes to find all this, but no, I didn't see him. All right, pedantry. I didn't. I didn't get any pedantry. Did you have anything? I, I didn't. I didn't either. The and this isn't pedantry. I just don't quite know how it, it works. How homing birds work, but he Littlefinger tells Sansa that he he's the one that told Oswell to get his three boys to King's Landing to be part of Bronze Sellsword Army. Right. But if if Littlefinger is in King's Landing, even if Oswell's in King's Landing and he literally tells Oswell this, how do you get a message to that little tower? They couldn't have a rookery nearby, you wouldn't think. Maybe, maybe they do. Maybe there's like a post office. <laughs> like a generic rookery 
that where birds come and go. I just wondered how would they get that message? Not calling a pedantry necessarily. Uh, I'm just not quite sure. Yeah. How that works. Yep. That kind of pedantry was worse in the TV show because it was often like people had instant knowledge of things that happened oh, a thousand yes. leagues away. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's that's a reasonable point. All right, news and notes. Oh, well, Lena Headey of Cersei Lannister fame stars in a new TV show on MGM Plus that's set to be rolled out soon. Uh, the show is called Beacon 23 and it's a sci-fi thriller based on the five book series from author Hugh Howey. Uh, Heedy plays the role of Aster and stars opposite Stephen James, who plays Hallen, H-A-L-A-N, Hallen. Uh, the series premiere debuts on November 12th. I believe it's a globally released on that day, something around there. So oh, if you're interested sci- in seeing what, yeah, yeah. I, Sci-fi I wasn't Heedy. familiar. Can't be. Uh, I, were you familiar? Are you familiar with Hugh Howey or the... No, that name doesn't mean anything to me, but I, I, I will... I'll give it a I'll give it a look if I can. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Lena Headey, so I'll, I'll give it a shot. Um, a huge thank you to uh, Jay, just a letter Jay, who bought us twenty cups of Arbor Gold on the Buy Me a Coffee site, uh, and included a very nice message with their donation. I love listening to you guys. I'm very glad to see you're still making new episodes. Occasionally, you mention promise that after a Song of Ice and Fire, you might. For sure, will do a new book. I'd read whatever <laughs> I'd read whatever your podcast was on. Great work, thanks much. So yeah, that's extremely kind, and we're very grateful for your donation, Jay. Yes, thank you so very much. That was that's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. All right, let's conclude this one. Uh, Sansa is safe-ish. Uh, yeah, Pe- safe-ish. Peter Baelish is uh, not the kind of guy to break a vow, so he's tied up with his new wife, Lysa, and. Uh, <laughs> We'll leave Sansa. <laughs> Why do you Almost laugh got when through I say that. these things candidly, honestly? Uh, she's safer than she was in King's Landing. For I'll sure. say that. Yes. And I felt like the chapter resolved better than you would, than at least I had hoped. Liza seems willing to take Sansa in. She said, I'd never turn Kat's daughter away. Even if she did it in kind of an odd Liza sort of way, grabbing yeah. her wrist and asking her if she's pregnant. Yeah. insisting she marry her cousin and making everything all about herself. Yeah. So, but it does look like Sansa's found a new family member to connect with and that feels positive especially compared to what she had just come from. Yeah. Uh Yeah, so Lysa towards Sansa mean-spirited, but she doesn't seem to want to actively harm her unless you include marrying her off to Robert. <laughs> <laughs> might be considered harmful right yeah i feel like uh liza might be the mother-in-law from hell yeah if that, <laughs> that marriage goes through. that's true that's true <laughs> but, but um, when you're dealing with sansa this is her fourth betrothal right one marriage four betrothals really we got joffrey, joffrey? willis oh, Tyrion, yeah. and now robert so she's just collecting betrothals wow. so she'll have more she'll have more betrothals than years if she keeps going <laughs> yes. this way so how will Peter Baelish use his new power? He he brags that he would use power well if he had it. Well, he's going to uh-huh. have quite a lot of power here as Lord of Harrenhal and Protector of the Vale. Uh, the Vale's very strong, but can this be the limit of his ambitions? Feels right. like it wouldn't be enough to me. You yeah. would be very happy as Lord of the Vale. I know that. I would. Uh-huh. I'd be content just being Lord of the Vale. Exactly. I don't need to go any higher than uh-huh. that. Thank you. Uh-huh. 
But he's supposed to bring the veil into the war for the Lannisters. Yeah. But will he bother doing that, or is he just gonna go off? Do whatever he's going to do and, now. And if he doesn't, will Tywin care? I mean, as long as he keeps them out of the war, it changes right. nothing. The, the Lannisters are barely fighting anyone anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, how will the other Vale Lords take to Peter Littlefinger Baelish now being Lord Protector of the Vale? That's interesting. I mean, he's been there for a while, right? I mean, this is... He, he came back to rescue Sansa, but he'd been there working his claim so maybe maybe we don't know what he's been up to yeah maybe he'd done some groundwork towards that but yeah his insistence on wanting to get married in the eerie suggested to me that he was worried about that that he thought his claim might be just a little bit fragile agreed yeah i just wondered you know many of these lords are tired of sitting idle they wanted to go off to war and now she marries Littlefinger and makes him lord protector of the veil that Seems yeah. like that could, and, and blow particularly up in their if face. he does follow up on what Tywin told him to do, which is say, "All right, guys, I know you want to get into this war. Here's the deal: we're going in, but not fighting for the side you wanted to fight for. <laughs> right? Yeah, we're like, fighting for the Lannisters. Yeah. Um, will the Elaine cover story w- keep Sansa safe? Uh, feels like Varys might see through that. Yeah, he seems to know. All kinds of things he shouldn't know. So I I guess if they can stick to it, maybe for a while it'll work. I think Varys might care for Sansa Stark, but news that Littlefinger Baelish brought her to the Vale would be too tempting for Varys to not share that with the (laughs) Lannisters. He would just be like, I know something. Exactly. Gotta tell someone this. Uh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Who can I tell who would then kill Peter Baelish? Oh, everybody. (laughs) That's right. Who have we got next time? Uh, Next, we're heading north to the Wall. We're going to catch up with Jon. The fighting continues against the Wildlings. Resources grow short, but help arrives or does it? Ooh. Well, there's four ways that you can help us. Uh, you could leave us a positive review. Those are always the best way to uh, aid us. You could buy merchandise at ghostsofharrenhall.threadless.com. You could buy us a cup or even 20 of Arbor Gold at buymeacoffee.com slash ghostsharrenhall. Become a sustainer at the Lord Paramount or Knight of the Realm level. And you can hear the salacious things from my trip to England. That's uh, right. And you can hear the uh, spoiler stuff that we've been throwing spoiler in. Spoiler stuff, exactly. Make a donation at our website, ghostsofharrenhall.buzzsprout.com. That's also easy. And if you're looking for more ways to interact with us, keep up on the latest Ghost of Hall news and developments, well, you can check us out on our social media accounts. You can follow us on Twitter, at Ghost Hall. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye.